dark saber so important? What's the deal with Moff Gideon? What happened in the Great Purge? How can I learn more about the history of Mandalorians? Star Wars fans and moof milkers everywhere. Welcome to episode number 202 of Blast Points. This is Jason. And this is Gabe. And we're talking about the Darksaber. You thought we forgot, <laughs> but we cut a hole in your wall and here we are. <laughs> you thought the TIE Fighter crashed. We're creeping out with capes and armor. Looking around confused. What happened? <laughs> Those Jawas weren't expecting us. <laughs> it's crazy. All week when we were getting ready to do this episode... I'm just thinking about like how oh, the dark saber, and every time I think of dark saber, for some reason, I want to sing it like Goldfinger. <laughs> <laughs> dark saber, it's the sword, the sword that's colored black. I I, I kind of did the same thing, but I just kept thinking of the the Skywalker. I am the Skywalker song, but it was just I am the dark saber. Just screaming dark saber at the top of my lungs. <laughs> dark saber. <laughs> it's easy for people to forget that that happened because that last episode in the Mandalorian chapter eight came out just the week after rise of Skywalker. And people talked about it for like the day that Mandalorian came out. And then it just got completely overshadowed <laughs> with all the rise of Skywalker insanity. Right. Which that's, People are slowly coming to terms, I think, with Rise of Skywalker a little bit. It's calming down a little bit. But then the art book came out in Korea for some reason. And now it's kind of everything's flaring up again. But there's a lot of good stuff to talk about with Mandalorian. The Darksaber's back. It's official that I guess Mandalorian and the animated shows are kind of all the same thing. I mean, it, it was always all Star Wars, but now it's even more all the same thing we, we talked about it just a tiny bit on the the, the patreon the blast points army episode for uh, episode eight which everyone can listen to it's free for everyone by the way it was 
super shocking. Still, I because like like we said, we thought the big zinger at the end of season one of Mandalorian is going to be whoever has the Spurs boots. Maybe it's Boba Fett. Maybe it's not. Maybe it's Cad Bane. I don't know. But you know that thing that was set up in that episode is going to come back. And here's the big zinger. Nobody was expecting the dark saber to come out. Nobody. Dave Filoni, John Favreau, they knew. Well, yeah, because it was one of those things like you might have. There might have been an afternoon. You're like, oh man, I wonder if they're ever going to bring the dark saber back. That would be crazy. <laughs> we keep getting proven time and time again with only eight episodes of Mandalorian that really there's nothing too crazy for them to bring into Mandalorian. And in the end, it made perfect sense. It's like, why wouldn't they bring it back? And then you start to see the pattern of the, there's always been Mandalorian stuff in anything that Filoni has been involved with. So Clone Wars, Mandalorian stuff, dark saber rebels, Mandalorian stuff. Oh, dark sabers back. Oh, here's this new show. It's live action, but Oh, Filoni's involved. What's going to happen? Oh, Mandalorians and dark sabers back. So it, in hindsight, it's it's obvious that it was going to come back, but it was in that moment it was like, oh my god, they're really going there. <laughs> I think that, and they're really going there is like the perfect way. Like, wow, man, they're they're playing for keeps with this one. They're not messing around. <laughs> they're, oh, and that's the great thing now too. That like Rebels and Clone Wars is finally both on like a streaming service where. You don't know what the Darksaber is. You want to catch up. You don't know what Mandalorian history is. On the same thing, you just watch the Mandalorian. Here's that, too. It's the dream, finally. Well, and it just makes sense, too, because, you. I mean, it's been amazing to see the Mandalorian connect with pretty much everybody on the planet. But other than everyone else on the planet, they know there's a pretty intense fan base for Clone Wars, and that fan base carried over to rebels and there's a pretty intense fan base of rebels plus cologne wars. And you knew all those people were going to tune in for Mandalorian. So it's like, even if baby Yoda didn't set the world on fire, there still would have been a pretty big group of people pumped about the Mandalorian who are very familiar with clone wars and rebels. So only now does it, can you see how obvious it was for them to do <laughs> to do that? Where just weeks ago it seemed insane they would never do that. Why would they have the dark saber on in live action? But it makes perfect sense. It's it's like Sky Talkers say all the time: look to animation for the future of Star Wars. And it's true. It's so true because time and time again, like the things we saw in Clone Wars and Rebels are working their way into this live action and. We're going to have the Kenobi show and we're going to have the Cassian show. And who knows in the future movies we'll get what ideas that first started in animation will work their way into this new mythology being created. Well, and especially going forward post the Skywalker saga, other than the Skywalker saga, the biggest amount of Star Wars Stuff, at least in moving form on TV or technically at the movies with the Clone Wars movie is the, the animated stuff. So it's like it would make sense that they would build off of that because there's a lot of stuff there and it's stuff that people just love to death to this day. So it, it seems like a smart idea to build off of that stuff than to pretend like that's not there and have to totally start from scratch and like with Mandalorian, it gives you a good base to kind of start with something new, but still tie it in with some of some familiar stuff and some of the story that they've been telling for 
over 10 years now since Clone Wars started? Well, in the Darksaber, it's so important to man, not even Mandalorian history, but going way back to like ancient Jedi history. And this, this one thing, this like black lightsaber that makes a really cool noise has weaved its way through all this Star Wars history that they've created. And the fact that it did show up in that last episode of Mandalorian with Moff Gideon carrying it, like you said, like at first it's like, Oh my God, they're really going there. But then like, when you sit down and really think about it, what that means and what that could mean for the future of the series, it could be really, really big. And it's like, it's almost like every, like you go back and you, we talk about it all the time with a new hope when a new hope came out and no one knew what the heck anyone was talking about, but every word and everything in a new hope has now become something much bigger. It's very star Wars in that way. Well, the other thing, too, is we think about the sequel trilogy and just how much the sequel trilogy, for good or bad, was tied to the legacy of Luke and Anakin's lightsaber and it being, you know, almost this mythical weapon. The Darksaber is even more a mythical weapon than that in Star Wars history because it it goes back even farther. And it's, you know, it has the same sort of idea of it being this weapon passed along through time that has all this history and power associated with it. And it's the same sort of thing, only even more so because it's been through the original trilogy, the prequel trilogy. It's been back to what the old Republic time with, uh, when it was created, it was the Jedi's fought against it. Darth Maul's owned it. All these Mandalorians have owned it. Like it's a, it's, it's a heavy duty thing. It makes Anakin's it makes Anakin's saber seem like something that you bought at the at a carnival, maybe, and like your dad kept it in a drawer. Like it's 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 cool, but it's not as cool as you think it is compared to something that's thousands of years old. And like we're gonna get into in a little bit, like it's the same thing for just the the miracle of just the Mandalorian and man the name Mandalorian and the whole history of this whole weird Boba Fett Mandalorian thing. <laughs> Cause the Mandalorian, like we said before, he's basically a Boba Fett. He's just a Boba Fett dude. <laughs> the fact that it exists and like, it's such a major thing and how the heck did that happen? And how did that lead to this whole crazy Mandalorian culture and the dark saber and this whole complicated, crazy thing. We're going deep here, folks. We're going right into into the the weeds the mandalorian weeds well because it is crazy when you think about like star wars was you know there's the rebels and the empire but then there was the jedi and the jedi was just this thing with all this lore and history and that people gravitated to and they've made movies about and all this stuff that yeah now over the years mandalorians and mandalorian culture and mandalorian history has become something almost as big and i and now with the show as iconic as like the Jedi. It's like the Star Wars already had the Jedi, but now they have the Mandalorians too, which is in like an equally big sub thing within Star Wars, which is as we get into the history of it is even more fascinating that it kind of from where it began to what it has become. is just only in Star Wars. <laughs> and it, it's great because like the Jedi, you had like Luke Skywalker and Obi-Wan Kenobi and like these hero big characters. But Mandalorian, you just had Boba Fett. 
just this dude, just this this character is not even in the movie very much, and like gets hit in the back, and his jetpack takes off, and he screams, and he falls into the Sarlacc pit. There's no reason why Boba Fett should be such a big deal, but when you start to go through the history, like we will in a little bit, it makes total sense why he's a big deal because they almost created that themselves. But before we get into that, we've got to talk about that picture of George Lucas holding Yoda baby. <laughs> George Lucas, writer and director of Star Wars. What happened to Darth Vader's grandchildren? <sighs> it's we say it every time. We never think we can love George Lucas more than we already love George Lucas. But you know, every few months, every year, he proves us wrong and makes us love him even more. It's oh, it's a rare Lucas sighting. We haven't you know we haven't seen him in a while, and I think that's. On Thursday night, when that picture, when John Favreau posted that picture and broke the internet, it was Yoda baby, and it was just, it was we needed to see Lucas. We haven't seen him. We we needed to see George. We, what is he doing? And you had a good question. When is this picture taken? He's been posting pictures from season two, and they're filming season two. So if he posted a picture of George, I would think it's season two. I I like the idea that he just every day just hangs out on the set of the Mandalorian. Show me that baby, and I like in that picture he's like cradling the baby, like oh little baby, like go to sleep, go to sleep. Does he does he think it's a real baby? I don't know, but he's he just recently. I mean his his. Baby is not much. I mean, this is a few, maybe a couple of years older than Baby Yoda, but he's he's been full on baby mode, so he knows what to do. George Lucas and nobody talks about this, but this is important. He loves babies. Yeah, he always has and always will. He is a baby lover. He's a baby aficionado. He loves babies and makes total sense. Ewok babies, baby Yoda baby babies. I love the little babies. He gave up Star Wars for a baby. You know, he's in his 70s. He's like, I'm going to have a newborn baby. I only have time for my Star Wars baby or my new real baby. I'm going to go with the real baby. He loves babies. Even in the 80s, he gave it up for the, for the babies. Yeah, I like to think he's he's just living on the set. They let him sleep in the bar where grief works. He's like, he sleeps there. He goes and checks on his museum for a little bit. And then he comes back and he's just hanging out on the set of Mandalorian. And his happy place. It's not going to happen. But we can, hey, we can dream. We can put it out there. They haven't announced the directors for season two yet. It's true. It's it's not going to happen, though. But I, I also said maybe the, a picture of of Lucas holding the Yoda baby would never happen. <laughs> and, and the Darksaber, that's just insane. That's not going to happen. Boba Fett's not going to happen. They're not going to have... His spurs sound show up and tease us like <laughs> every morning. I'm going to that baby. Yeah. He rolls in, rolls in with a bag of Wendy's. I got some nuggets for the baby. Don't worry, it's not the spicy card. Melody said, I can't have nuggets, but baby Yoda can eat them. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's all an elaborate trick. He feeds the nuggets to baby Yoda and then his other hand that's holding baby Yoda, he sticks it inside baby Yoda and pulls the nuggets out. And that way, Melody doesn't know he's getting the nuggets. <laughs> <laughs> it's all just a ploy to get to sneak nuggets. I love those nuggets. Yeah. Well, Favreau's like, I can make you some like really good food. And he's like, no, me and baby Yoda are just eating nuggets. <laughs> That's all we need. Stay away from me. Stay with Jimmy Fallon. I don't need you. 
helmeted bounty hunter that looked unbelievably cool has spawned an entire, you know, mythology within this bigger mythology, an entire race of people, Fandalorians, you know, it's amazing. Like we're saying, it's crazy that you've got everybody in the world just casually saying the name The Mandalorian. Kind of like, oh yeah, The Mandalorian. Of course. Of course I'm watching them. You watching The Mandalorian? Of course. Everybody's watching The Mandalorian. The name The Mandalorian never said in a Star Wars movie ever. Not even Attack of the Clones. Like you would think maybe an Attack of the Clones with Jango. Nope. Well, like the symbol. The symbol is an iconic symbol associated with Star Wars and Boba Fett. And I'm sure if you printed that out and showed it to 10 random people on the street, uh, the majority of them would be, that's a Star Wars thing or that's Boba Fett. It's like the bat symbol or something. So it's like, oh, yeah, Boba Fett. You see a car drive by with like the Boba, the, the skull, the mythosaur skull on it. And you're just like, oh, yeah, that person must really love Boba Fett. You know, <laughs> it's no big deal. Everybody, it's Boba Fett. It's crazy. How did it all start? Where did it even begin? 1975, from 1975 into 77, uh, Ralph McQuarrie was doing nonstop drawings and paintings. And around that time, he did a drawing, like a sketch of a helmet that was going to be a super commando helmet. That l- It looks like a cross between like a samurai helmet and what eventually later became Boba Fett's helmet. And these were ideas that were kind of being messed around with for either Darth Vader or stormtroopers. He was just messing around with like cool looking helmets. So as they get closer to empire, this whole idea of bounty hunters was coming up. And this is George Lucas talking about it. He says, when I was writing the scripts for star Wars, and this is from uh, the Rinsler making of empire book, by the way, I wanted to develop an essentially evil character that was frightening. Darth Vader started as kind of an intergalactic bounty hunter in a spacesuit and evolved into a more grotesque knight as I got more into knights and the codes of everything. He became more of a dark lord than a mercenary bounty hunter. The Boba Fett character is really an early version of Darth Vader. He's much more like the man with no name from Sergio Leone Westerns. So you could say that Boba Fett kind of has his roots in Darth Vader-y stuff. But there was more like an urgency to figure out this character because they wanted to feature Boba Fett in the holiday special. Which is fun to think about now that it really does make sense that Mandalorians and Mandalorian stories and culture became such a focus of Star Wars on TV since... The whole thing really started with the first appearance of Star Wars on TV. If any Star Wars character is a TV character, other than if we ever get, you know, Wookiee family shows, the only other thing would be, yeah, Boba Fett and the whole Mandalorian thing. So, yeah, it it makes perfect sense. And it was uh, February, March 78. Joe Johnston was the one who really nailed down uh, the look of the armor. And there's all those uh, great drawings he did. It's in the Joe Johnston sketchbook for Empire. 
shooting flames out of his wrist and he drew like all those like diagram lines of all the details of the armor. And it's kind of neat looking at those now because like on Boba Fett's like knees, he's talking about like uh, rocket darts and stuff, things that were never in the movies, but you know, like whistling birds, <laughs> cool stuff. And the flamethrower, like I was saying. And, and then in June of 78, Ben Burt presents a 10-minute Boba Fett screen test where it's the famous all-white Boba Fett armor, and it's being wa- uh, worn by assistant film ed- editor uh, Dwayne Dunham. And this quote from Joe Johnson in the Rinsler book, Ralph and I worked on the preliminary designs and we traded back and forth. Originally, Boba Fett was part of a force we called super troopers. They were like high tech fighting units and they all looked alike. That eventually evolved into one single bounty hunter, which even that's crazy. So that's like Joe Johnston and Ralph McQuarrie kind of nailing down like the ideas that later go into like the Clone Wars show and Mandalorian, like in live action. Right. It's like even from the beginning, they were kind of always at least thought of as a group that wore similar armor. <laughs> and at the at the end of this uh, this screen test, which is on YouTube, but I don't think this part's on the YouTube video, uh, Dwayne Dunham exhibits the uh, wrist flamethrower and it lights his arm on fire. <laughs> So the at least for Empire, the wrist flamethrower idea was scrapped. <laughs> but even that, like a twenty minute suit test with Ben Burt and Dwayne Dunham testing out a wrist flamethrower for what always was going to be a secondary character. Well, it's funny to think if if the flamethrower would have worked better, would they have figured out a scene in Empire for him to just turn the flamethrower on? Like would. Would, would like Lando have had a cigar and he would have lit Lando's cigar with the flamethrower or something? <laughs> Thanks, buddy. <laughs> Was the fight like in Attack of the Clones something that Lucas had in the back of his mind for something in The Empire Strikes Back? Like when they were trying to escape Cloud City or then they were trying to, to get Han out of, you know, we've got to save Han from the bounty hunter. Was there going to be like more of a fight with Boba? coming down to stop them from getting close to the ship or something. Okay, we'd like to introduce Boba Fett. And here he is, a new character. Uh, can you speak to us, Boba? Certainly. Boba has sort of a radio voice. There's a speaker built into him here. And also there's a certain amount of telemetry going on and a certain amount of feedback for some reason. This is only a black and white tape, and he looks totally white. The, uh, the concept of Boba now is going to be uh, a multicolored uh, fellow. They're going to actually have different colors, basically blue and green, sort of light, muted colors. There's also some electronics on him here. They don't really show up in the sunlight here, but there's some readouts here that are, there's some small electronic numbers and things flashing in the window. This is a rangefinder. Is this what this is here? This, is, this tilts down here. And he can look through this device here and, and sight on various targets and so on. And there's some little optics and some little lights that blink on and off. There's actually two red lights. I guess there's a, a number of different weapons. There's the, uh, the, the rifle, the uh, laser submachine gun, more or less. There's a flamethrower here. Why don't we get a close-up of that aspect here? Uh, another feature will be what well, the equivalent of scalps, or actually scalps, of some of Boba's victims. He's got a nice one there. <laughs> yeah, that's right. I'm still too short. Uh, which will be hanging down from his shoulder, you know, sort of like a pigtail might, but these would be the uh, locks of hair of various enemies that he's slain. 
in the course of his mercenary duties. So the suit is built by several crew members and it's painted personally by Joe Johnston. And then it has its first public unveiling on September 24th, 1978, as Boba Fett, along with Darth Vader, marches in the San Anselmo County Fair Parade, which that also is available to watch in its entirety. You can just watch Boba Fett just marching down the street, which is crazy, too, because this is September 1978. And here's this mysterious character from the next Star Wars movie that doesn't even come out till the next year. It's like they knew what they were doing. And is it is it just because the suit looks so freaking cool? Can all this like Boba Fett Mandalorian stuff go back to the simple fact that the suit is unbelievably cool looking? <laughs> Well, I mean, starting with the helmet, the helmet looked so cool that they had to run with it. And then once they had the suit, yeah, everyone was hooked. Put this guy in the cartoon, put this guy in the movie, <laughs> make him a mail-away figure. Like, Yeah, that action figure was out so early, which I still wish they would do. There's nothing that drives Star Wars fans more crazy than the early bird figure of a character we know nothing about from the whatever's next. <laughs> it is kind of sad that we had... We've had five new movies and no mail-away figure. Oh, never forget the uh, the Kellogg serial, Han Solo in a Stormtrooper disguise, and me calling poor people at Kellogg serial. Where's my Han Solo in a Stormtrooper figure? Yeah. Sir, you have to be patient, you colossal nerd. Well, and I knew I'd never find the Luke to go with it, so I just bought one of the muscle Lukes and cut his head off and cut Han's head off and glued it on so I could have a Han and a Luke to go together, too. I, I remember that. I remember that. <laughs> the good old. They wanted a character that could make public appearances, and I think Boba was kind of designed as a character between Star Wars and, and Empire that they could, you know, get the public excited about something new. Wayne, how did you get the role? Oh, I, I just fit the suit, that's all. Well, look but, at him. But listen, yeah, he's, but listen, he's, he's do you like, know that Boba Fett wore spurs that's in, right. in the movie? He was yeah, Clint right. Eastwood in outer space, and Ben put spurs on him. So when, yeah. listen, when Boba Fett walks down the yeah. hallway, yeah. he goes, ching, ching, ching. He didn't have any spurs you could see, but we decided we would. put them on anyway. That's right. I forgot about that. In that footage, rather than wearing a cape or a serape, he's actually wearing, I think, a Star Wars beach towel. I don't know if it, or a Star Wars blanket. Yeah. The, the, the early suit was and was a you know prototype, and so it hadn't been fully developed as it got to be later. So that November, everyone gets to see... Boba Fett as he makes his debut in the infamous holiday special, which even that is a very mysterious introduction to this character. He's riding a big pink dinosaur. You don't know if he's a good guy or a bad guy. You know, he's incredibly cool though. In March of 79 filming begins. Jeremy Bullock has a, a, a costume fitting for the part of Boba Fett. He has no idea what's going on and he's put into this extremely elaborate costume and I think sometime around there, too, in the Marvel Comics series, issue 68, the issue called The Search Begins. And he, in the Marvel Comics, he's called a protector of the planet Mandalore. Well, and we can't forget a major thing in 1979, issue of Bantha Tracks. They're talking about Boba Fett, and they say Boba Fett's armor is described as 
reminiscent of imperial shock troopers, warriors from an olden time. They came from the far side of the galaxy, and there are so few of them because they were wiped out by the Jedi during the Clone Wars. That is 1979. He sounds like a cool dude. <laughs> That's some, it's, well, even you think about that, like, they came from a far side of the galaxy. Were people even talking about, like, the difference between outer rim planets and stuff in 1979? I don't even know. Probably not. And then even just the mention of the Clone Wars, like we were like, oh, I remember like all during like the early 90s when it's like, oh, what, what, what's episodes one, two and three going to be like? And like, are the, you know, the Clone Wars, well, aren't the bad guys in the Clone Wars, the Mandalorians, like a bunch of Boba Fett's and stuff? That was always the talk. Wasn't there a cover of Star Wars Insider that was an army of Boba Fett's talking about the Clone Wars and the prequels? Or am I imagining that? I, there was an issue of a magazine called, uh, what was it, Sci-Fi Universe or something that had like a, a three, four page article about like what could happen in the Star Wars prequels. And it was like a bunch of Luke Skywalkers fighting a bunch of Boba Fett's. Well, and in the end, we really kind of got an army of Boba Fett's for real. We didn't get it. No, a, it's true. It's true. <laughs> right? We, I mean, <laughs> we really did get an army of Boba Fett's. And their original Clone Wars armor is very is based on the Mandalorian armor. So it really did. It really was true in a way from a certain point of view, which is just insane. It's all crazy. And now there's this show called The Mandalorian and everybody in the world's watched it and everybody in the world's in love with this baby Yoda. It's just crazy that we've gotten to this point. Playing this part, I did my homework about Mandalorians, and really all that we knew was Boba Fett, and there was reference to Mandalorian armor. So I've learned a lot about it. I know that there's always been a curiosity about the Mandalorians. People have spent more hour per screen second working on Boba Fett costumes than, than probably anybody else. As you wish. He went around for a long time, but he had a big impact, and I know that people are very curious about the guy. I certainly was. There's something cool about a bounty hunter. There's something cool about... A warrior, and there's something about his face not being revealed, but yet him not just being a nondescript character. It hit something. It hit some sort of nerve. I know. I know. I was really curious about the guy. You know, that's an action figure you needed to have. So, okay, the Clone Wars, the Dark Saber, because, like we said, out of this whole crazy Mandalorian history, there is this very important thing: the Dark Saber. The first time we see the Dark Saber, it's being carried around by this guy, Pre Vizsla, who is voiced by John Favreau. And he is the leader of this splinter group called Death Watch. Cause you, you probably watch Mandalore or Clone Wars and you know, the drill that Mandalore is now like this peaceful planet and they're rejecting their old warrior ways. And the warrior people have been sent off to this moon Concordia and on Concordia, there's this thing, Death Watch led by Pre Vizsla. And he's got the dark saber, and it isn't until Rebels that we find out like this weapon's history. Because when we first meet Pre Vizsla, he pulls it out to Obi Wan, and he's like, "This weapon has been killing Jedi since before you know what's up, Obi Wan." <laughs> For generations, my ancestors fought proudly as warriors against the Jedi. Now that woman tarnishes the very name Mandalorian. Defend her, if you will. 
This lightsaber was stolen from your Jedi temple by my ancestors during the fall of the Old Republic. Since then, many Jedi have died upon its blade. Prepare yourself to join them. Oh, I still remember the first time seeing that episode. It was the same reaction as the end of Mandalorian. You're kind of like, what? What's going on? What is this? What's going on? Well, and come to find out that originally Filoni, or whoever was writing that episode, wanted it to be a vibroblade. And it was Lucas's idea to create the Darksaber. And Lucas wrote that whole previsual speech. That Lucas... He's got some good. He's got some good ideas in that head of his. <laughs> he's a thinker. When the dark saber was first created on Clone Wars, George wrote that little speech for Pre Vizsla. What I added to that was this idea that the dark saber was Mandalorian made. For a long time, the character Pre Vizsla, that first wields the dark saber in the show, he had what was called in Star Wars a vibro blade, which is not a lightsaber. When George saw that, he kind of said, "Yeah, I've, I've heard of those things, but there's no way it could stop a lightsaber." And that's where George created the dark saber. Yeah, and then finally later in Rebels, Fen Rao, who's from the Protectors, right? I think that was that Mandalorian group. When uh, Kanan shows it to him. He basically gives Kanan the history of the Darksaber, and we get a cool, like, shadow puppet animation showing Tar Vizsla, the the original, I guess not even the original, the first Mandalorian Jedi built that saber, and then after he died, it was kept in the Jedi Temple, and the Mandalorians eventually broke into the Jedi Temple and stole it back. It is the Darksaber, a symbol for the leader of House Vizsla and later the group known as Death Watch. I didn't know Mandalorians developed a type of lightsaber. We didn't. This was one of a kind. Legend tells that it was created over a thousand years ago by Tar Vizsla, the first Mandalorian ever inducted into the Jedi Order. After his passing, the Jedi kept the saber in their temple. That was until members of House Vizsla snuck in and liberated it. They used the saber to unify the people and strike down those who would oppose them. One time, they ruled all of Mandalore wielding this blade. I guess it was, what, House Vizsla ancestors who stole it, so it was kind of, they had it all those many, 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 many years. Right, and that starts, like we were talking about, like the old Bantha Tracks thing, like developing like this whole crazy backstory of the Mandalorians versus the Jedi so this weapon, yeah, like has this long, long, long history. So back to Clone Wars, after Pre Vizsla has it, he tries to like align himself with Count Dooku and the Separatists, and eventually Darth Maul comes into the whole story. It gets really crazy. Darth Maul, spoiler alert, kills Pre Vizsla. Darth Maul has... The Darksaber, he has it all the way up until we see him again on Rebels, right? Yeah, but he doesn't, I don't think he uses it on Rebels, right? It's like in his, it's in his office or his bedroom or wherever. I can't remember where they get it from. Like his little, his little private area of pain where he's got like his picture of Duchess Satine and all of his, I hate Obi-Wan Kenobi stuff on the walls. All his notebooks that he wrote, I hate Kenobi over and over again. His poetry. This is my a look into my pain. Yeah, so Sabine finds it. And that, yeah, and that's on Dathomir. Sabine herself is a Mandalorian. 
she brings the dark saber to her mother and her clan and eventually it's taken by gar saxon who is one of the mandalorians who's working with the emperor but eventually after they fight she gets it back and then uses that the next season when they go rescue her father on mandalore and then ultimately she decides to give the dark saber to bo-katan who she thinks it should be the rightful ruler of Mandalore. Who Bo-Katan is Duchess Satine's sister, by the way. From way back on Clone Wars. And as far as we knew until the last episode of Mandalorian, Bo-Katan has had the Darksaber ever since. Well, and backing up too, sometime before the end of the Clone Wars, the members of the Death Watch group rescued young Din Djarin a.k.a. the Mandalorian, in a Clone Wars battle on some planet somewhere. Which that leads us to the show The Mandalorian, where we start hearing about the Purge, and we start hearing that there's not many Mandalorians left out there anywhere. They're rare. We Gideon shows up, and he's talking about the Night of a Thousand Tears and all this crazy stuff, and... You got a bunch of Mandalorians living in a sewer. It's dark times for the Mandalorians. So the purge must have happened probably, what, sometime after Rebels? Yeah, it would have had to have been, well, after Rebels and before the Mandalorian. So sometime during the original trilogy movies. Something interesting, too. There was a whole thing that Sabine had this weapon, right? Yeah, that's... The other thing, now that we're definitely seeing the connection between Mandalorian and the animated shows, was a big storyline, really all through Rebels, was kind of Sabine's secret and kind of the thing she was most ashamed of was when she was younger and worked uh, in the Imperial Academy, she developed this weapon that specifically worked against Mandalorians and used their armor against them, where it would basically shoot this energy that would only interact with their armor, effectively like cooking them in their armor. And that kind of comes back in the last season of Rebels, and they were able to kind of get the prototype working. And then at the beginning of the last season, her and the Rebels crew go and destroy that weapon. But is Mandalorian hinting that maybe the Empire gets that working again, and that's how they were able to so easily destroy all the Mandalorians, and then they were left with all this Beskar armor that they melted down into bars? Yeah, because it's a big deal, like in that first episode of Mandalorian, when Werner Herzog pulls out those Beskar steel bars. And you get the sense that with the armorer, Beskar is not a very easy thing to come by anymore. Well, and even throughout the show, once he gets his upgraded Beskar armor you see really how almost indestructible it is. Like, if he gets shot in the armor, he's fine. How would the stormtroopers, who who their guns are filled with spray paint, how are they going to take out a planet full of Mandalorians? So did they come up with something new, or are they just bringing back that weapon that's specifically geared towards taking out Mandalorians? Yeah, is that related to the Purge? And is that something that... Maybe Moff Gideon, maybe he's the guy that figured out how to bring that back. Because, yeah, so now we're getting into 
the questions that the end of the Mandalorian and the fact that Gideon comes out with the Darksaber starts to raise. Because we know all this long history of the Darksaber here. But like we are saying at the beginning, him coming out of that TIE fighter with it just raises a million questions. <laughs> How did he get it? It would not be something that the Mandalorians would have given up easily. Like we said, the last we saw it was with Bo-Katan. So when do you think Gideon got his hands on the Darksaber? Well, the thing we were, like we were thinking about in some of the other episodes, there's... I mean, there's definitely the possibility that because Gideon's so familiar with Mandalorians that maybe he was around during the Clone Wars time. Maybe he saw the Darksaber then, but he would have had to get it after Rebels. So at some point during the original trilogy movies or, yeah, it would have to be sometime between... A New Hope and Return of the Jedi, because by the end of Return of the Jedi, there's not going to be enough of an empire around to to purge Mandalore. So some point, the Empire basically did a full-on assault on the Mandalorians and, and basically wiped them out. And at that point, if Gideon was there, maybe he took the Darksaber from Bo-Katan or whoever had it after her. The Mandalorian, like, knows his name. Cara Dune, like, thinks he was, like, executed. Like, he's, like, an infamous imperial figure. They Everybody knows about him. And, he, yeah, he knows the Mandalorian's name. And it's he's a big deal. Well, he knows everybody's. He knows all about grief, too. Like, he's he's got connections. He had connections and still has connections. Well, like, one of the most fascinating things and one of the things that made us especially interested in Gideon right away... Number one, he's got a cape and he's super cool. But two, he comes out and he's dropping that crazy speech. And he's talking about how the Yoda baby means more to him than anyone in that building would understand. If he is so invested, personally invested in the Yoda baby. Number one, that's fascinating. You could say, well, so was Herzog, but... He's got this Darksaber, too, which, going back, Pre Vizsla said that this is something that was used to kill Jedi. This Darksaber was created by the first Mandalorian Jedi. It's got this history tied to it with the Jedi. And then you've got this Imperial guy wielding this sword that's connected to Mandalorian history and Jedi history. And he is personally out there ready to burn down the whole building and do whatever's possible to get this whatever the heck the Yoda baby is. I wonder as we find out more about Gideon like is Gideon yeah he's Moff Gideon right so yeah he was like maybe he was off doing stuff on planets instead of in spaceships or was he involved with like he's got death troopers with him like is is he the the guy in charge of the like the special forces kind of of the empire, like that whole sort of like side of the empire. And they would be the kind of people that would go wipe a planet out because, you know, they do the dirty jobs or, and is that somehow tied to the inquisitors and that sort of stuff too? Like, does he know about the Jedi babies that the inquisitors would go get and that sort of thing? Like maybe we're getting a character that's kind of familiar with, 
with that part of the empire that we hadn't really we haven't really seen other than in in the animated shows and in some of the like the video game type stuff because he's got the black armor and the cape like he looks like the kind of guy that would be hanging out with inquisitors and and death troopers yeah <laughs> totally <laughs> he obviously knows what baby yoda is about where most of the people in the in the empire based on you know cool talking about he heard stories but he definitely knows what the force is and and what Yoda baby's all about. Well, and the Mandalorian's quest given to him by the armorer is that now he's got to return the Yoda baby to his people. You can either look at that as the Yoda species or it seems more like they're hinting in the the episode Jedi. Right, cuz from the Mandalorian Mandalorians, meaning all the Mandalorians, not just the Mandalorian point of view, the Jedi, they're a bunch of wizards and sorcerers that they they are a group. Yeah, they wouldn't be like, well, the little green alien people to go find his family. It looks helpless. It's injured, but it is not helpless. Its species can move objects with its mind. I know of such things. The songs of eons past tell of battles between Mandalore the Great and an order of sorcerers called Jedi that fought with such powers. It is an enemy? No. It's kind we're enemies, but this individual is not. So, you, yeah, you've got this story now that's tied to deep, deep, deep Jedi history and, like, this, like, long-standing Jedi Mandalorian thing that they hinted at in Rebels was, you know, mentioned casually in an issue of Bantha Tracks in 1979. And now are we moving towards like this whole Mandalorian Jedi thing? And this Darksaber is kind of like the glue holding this whole thing together, kind of like the connector. Are the Jedi and the Mandalorians sometimes... They're not on the same side. Sometimes they are on the same side. What's going to happen if the Mandalorian gets the Darksaber and comes across the Jedi and has Baby Yoda with him? Like, what What kind of, what's that going to do? And who would he find? Who Who would be Baby Yoda's people at that point? Who's, who's even around for him to find? If the Mandalorian just starts going around in this post-return in the Jedi world and starts asking about, where can I find some Jedi? Do you know any sorcerers? Yeah, where is that going to lead him? It's it's insane to think about. Would could that lead him to Luke Skywalker? But how many people know about Luke Skywalker? Right. Well, and now that we've kind of established this is all tied with animation, is this before or after Ahsoka and Sabine go off to find Ezra? Are Ahsoka and Sabine and Ezra going to show up? And take Baby Yoda at the end. Are they back? Yeah, is 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 at least Ahsoka back? I don't know. I think the message overall here is right. The miracle of this animation, animation, live action, deep Star Wars history combination going on. It's real. <laughs> a, a side character created, debuted in animation on a TV show who became the basis for a character who was really explored in an animated show that was on TV and then further explored on another animated show on TV that's now continuing 
in a live action show that's on TV, but feels like animation. It's just, it's like the dark saber itself. It's just keeps getting passed on from generation to generation. And it can get very confusing that history. (laughs) It's fun for us to talk about this and it's fun for, you know, the people that listen to star Wars podcast too, to, to think about this and talk about this, but for the 95% of the other people watching The Mandalorian, it's not essential history. It's cool backstory. But you've got all these other people loving Baby Yoda and getting sucked into this story. The history is all there for people if they want to explore it. And if The Mandalorian gets people watching The Clone Wars or Rebels that had never even thought about watching an animated Star Wars show before, or maybe thought, well, those are for kids or something. And now, like we said, it's not, they're so available. Then that's super awesome too. Once people start to realize like, Oh wait, this is all connected. Yeah. Well, especially man, just think how nice that would be (laughs) if you were just completely unaware. And then all of a sudden you were like, wait, there's six seasons of clone wars and four seasons of rebels. I can go watch like that's, (laughs) <laughs> That's quite a gift. Because <laughs> there's, there's a lot of a lot of gold in there. It's the new Global Fett Star Wars life-size action figure from Kenner. Darth Vader sold separately. Capture them alive! I'm the best bounty hunter in the whole galaxy. That's why you got the job. Fett has a see-through helmet with play rangefinder to locate your objective. You can move his legs, knees, arms, even wrists and elbows. His backpack unit is removable. You have your mission. Good luck. I don't need luck. I'm the best. New Boba Fett Star Wars large-size action figure from Kenner. Darth Vader sold separately. This is Captain Rex. You're listening to Jason and Gabe on Blast Points. And these last points, too accurate for sand people. Only Imperial stormtroopers are so precise. deal is apple podcast reviews when you're done listening if you listen on something apple you can go over there leave us a nice little review and we will read it on an upcoming show i know it's becoming like cliche we say every week that we're behind because we still are (laughs) we got so we still have some we got to catch up on but we will we got we got a little time reserved in the future i think we're going to be able to catch up on that and after that check out blastpointspodcast.com Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and if you're on Facebook, sign up for the Super Chill Group. And if you want to support the show in a different way, we've got the Blast Points Army over there on Patreon with bonus episodes. Just last weekend, we had a bonus episode all about the Disney Star Wars before there was Disney Star Wars, the black hole. (laughs) And later in the month, we are going to have a commentary for Phantom Menace as the glue between... Phantom Menace year and the start of Saga year. Yeah, because Saga year starts next week. It's our year-long look at every film in the Star Wars saga. 12 months, 
12 movies. Maybe some bonus stuff along the way. Who knows? But yeah, Saga Year starts next week with another Phantom Menace episode. <laughs> Gonna be good. I'm looking forward to it. We is, is, is there still anything Phantom Menace left we can talk about? Sure. We're, we have strong hands. We're good at squeezing those lemons. Squeezing all the Phantom Menace juice out. <laughs> with Kylo with the Wayfinder. That's us with Phantom Menace. <laughs> I, I, broke, I broke your thing. Don't worry, I have another one in my car. Guess you gotta fight me now, huh? <laughs> Maybe just a little kiss. Just a little one right here on my lip. <laughs> so, alright. So anyways, Darksaber. Go if you haven't watched uh, the Clone Wars or Rebels in a while. Now's a good time to catch up. Clone Wars Season 7, it's coming really quick. So Yeah, it'll be here before you know it. We'll be back, back in the mess. <laughs> so... So, all right, folks, until next week, thank you, everyone, for listening. Bye-bye. May the Force be with you. Goodbye, old friend. May the Force be with you. Everything in Star Wars, I feel a very big responsibility to it all, to the legacy of the mythology. And when it was decided by George and Clone Wars that the Mandalorians were going to be pacifists under the rule of Satine, I cannot allow all of that to just be disintegrated. We have the warrior element, but we also have a people that change and grow and achieve knowledge like what George wanted. They're not just one thing. They're more like a real people. May the Force 